Hello and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast, unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, a corporate exec turned author who has recently written a series of books about topics we don't often talk about. Things like death, grief, not having kids, and the unexplained power doctors often wield over us. Apparently, some of my books have made some people feel a little uncomfortable, but I felt that I wanted to have far more conversations around weird, wonderful, and sometimes taboo topics. So I reached out to some interesting people and asked them just one question. If there is one topic that you'd love society to talk more about, what would it be and why? And what they've shared with me has been amazing. So let's dive in and see where the conversation takes us. The language we're using right now is not big enough to capture the kind of communication that you can be having with a tree that's in front of you in these states of being. Michael Dixon is an award-winning speaker, learning designer, event curator, musician, and author of the hot off the press book, Everyday Creative, a dangerous guide to making magic at work. A musician by trade, gypsy by nature, fierce non-conformist and prolific anti-perfectionist, he works with senior leaders and teams of Fortune 500 and ASX 200 companies to unlock breakthrough creativity. I've always found Michael to be someone who not only breaks the mould of what typical MCs, speakers or performers do, he smashes the absolute crap out of it. He's confronting at times as he challenges our notion of what's normal, but it's exactly why I love spending time with him. He shakes things up. He shakes me up. And I know today's conversation will be no different. As I hold my breath in anticipation of what's to come, I welcome the formidable Mike Dixon to the show. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Thrilled to be here. Let's get stuck in. So if there is one topic that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? Plant medicine. Ooh, what a good plant medicine. Okay, you need to define that a little bit more for me. As we spoke just previously off air, uh, it's, it's a nice frame to put around narcotics if we were to get, you know, really raw. And and I want to preface this conversation we're about to have as, as something that I've always talked about, you know, late night at bars or I've talked about with with certain people in saying, you know what, I wonder when or if business or corporate or executives or, you know, everyone talks about authenticity and transparency. And I think there's going to be a lot of things coming to the fore in the next decade or, you know, things, but I wonder if anyone will ever come out and talk about drugs. I wonder if they'll really ever come out and talk about narcotics or plant medicine or whatever else. So why is it? I, I love it. It's great. And obviously, you know, coming from the background that you have, you say the uh, the night owl that you've been in the music world for so long, you know, being uh, in a whole different environment than what you do these days in terms of co- the corporate world. So why is it you want to talk about plant medicine and, and um, that specifically in a topic that you think that, you know, in a way that we don't talk about it enough? I think that we have a very mixed up relationship in the modern world with control, with things we don't understand and things that we that we feel but terrify us or we can't put a name to or we you know so there's there's a lot we're going to have to unpack a lot in this conversation 
people do drugs because something's missing in their life. You can talk to a lot of people. I've got Russell Brand's been doing a lot of great work in the last few years around addiction and his relationship. And he frames it really nicely. You know, we're, we're obviously on some level, we're all seeking that connectedness, that intimacy with our oneness, with ourselves, with the universe, with everything going on around us. When we don't have that, we can seek that in junk food, cigarettes, alcohol, you know, toxic relationships, cocaine, marijuana, whatever you want to call it addictive behaviors that we're trying to fill a gap in our lives. And we do a lot of talk in business, in corporate, in life, the realms that we spend our time in around how can we get better performance out of our people? You know, that's moved instead of from motivation and, and all of that stuff to, oh, what about well-being? Now we're starting to consider people's through mindfulness or through their diet or natural light, or how can we get them to be more themselves and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of the work that I do is about trying to create an experience for people that jolts them out of their particular brain, you know, the neural networks that have been forged through time. They're programmed. Their, yeah. Their programs, you said it. The way that they perceive the world that's heavily entrenched through a life of habit. And to go, okay, we can talk about something different and people can go, oh, that's nice, but they're not going to change their behavior. They, they, it might be, it's entertaining for an hour or two. It's nice in theory, but really I'm going to go back to doing things the way they were for, for whatever reason. But when you have this deep emotive experience embodied where you are shaken out of, whoa, I can't go back from that. I can't unfeel that. I'm changed as a result of it. We need a lot more of that in our lives. We need a lot more of that in our workplaces. And one of some of the work that I do to do this is, you know, I use music and the arts and whatever else, but a lot of it, I use a, the technology around a rite of passage, which is what we've used for tens of thousands of years, indigenous cultures all around the world, where at significant moments of people's lives, you know, whether it's a girl becoming a woman, boy becoming a man, or, or an adult becoming an elder, these different ceremonial times, they're moments of transformation that are architected, that are engineered by that tribe to help people move from one state of being to another. And that is, there's a separation from the community, you go out in the jungle or you go out in the desert or you're taken away from what you, from your everyday life. You connect with the story of your people or who you are or where you've been. There's this sense of story. There's a challenge where you're forced to to step beyond who you think you are, you know, out of your comfort zone. Like, I don't think I could do that. Well, you just did it. Oh my God, I know myself is bigger than that. I know. There's the vision of where are you going? It's not just where you've come from and the history of the tribe or, the, or your community, but what is it all for? Where's the legacy piece? Where are we heading? And then there's a recognition of spirit, which is you might've come in as Michelle, but you leave as, you know, dragon claw, warrior tooth, whatever, you know. I'd Love that name. Who you are. <laughs> yeah, because of the transformation you've had. Yeah, cool. So we don't do these as much anymore. We don't do these rites of passage in modern life. No, but also, um, well, we probably did, you know, us when we were backpacking around Europe, that was our equivalent, wasn't exactly. it? Or your uh, Kentucky exactly. tour or Tontic tour. <laughs> but certainly not quite the same. What I was going to say is, so we don't do it as, we're not heralded by these elders and we're not held in a context and guided by mentors that have been through it. We take a gap year and we book a one-way ticket and we get wasted in Spain and we wake up with someone different in Portugal and then we're like, oh my God. And then when you come back, see the, the big change from this, where I'm going with this is when you come back from a rite of passage experience, the tribe now recognizes you as your transformation, as who you are now. Whereas when we go backpacking, 
for example, you come back and you're, you, you're changed. It's a different Michelle. But everyone at home is like, who does Michelle think she is? Well, now she's been to Portugal. Oh, she's also, oh, she thinks she's such a hippie now. And they claw you back down into that old identity, into the person that you left. Similarly, you do a business offsite. You have these profound, amazing awakenings. Oh my God, we could do this with the business. Or as a leadership team, we've connected. You come back to the business and you're all, yeah, we're going to do all this stuff. And everyone's like, yeah, Tony's been off on one of those executive retreats again. I don't worry. He'll calm down in a week. So there's this, how do we get everyone to go on this journey together? That's really what I'm talking about. I guess the gateway into that is, you know, when you, when you ask me, what's something no one's talking about or we'd love to talk about more, I'd love to talk about how we can create and engineer rites of passage experiences or transformative embodied experiences where people come back different, seeing their work, seeing their relationships, seeing their life different. And one of the ways I will be very open about this that has worked for me has been plant medicine. And when I say plant medicine, I'm talking about mushrooms and I'm talking about, you know, mescaline and peyote and ayahuasca and LSD and MDMA and whatever else. And I'm going on the record here. You know, I've got a life of rock and roll. And you've lived in some pretty unique places as well around the world. Like you've traveled extensively and lived, did you live in India or Indonesia and... Yep, yeah, yeah, in Cambodia for a couple That's of years, right, Cambodia. North Africa, yeah. South America. Yeah, which a lot of other cultures, I think, are um, a little bit more accepting. As as uh, I recall, when I trekked, so I've trekked the Himalayas. I, I did that when I was twenty one, and then when I was might have been, it was after my father had died. So in my early thirties, I trekked, did Machu Picchu, and I remember, you know, I'm hyperactive, and uh, well, I call myself a cheap druggie in the sense because you can give me Panadine Fort and it knocks me out, <laughs> like so. I I don't really need anything like coffee makes me hypo and they'd given us cacao like uh, cocoa leaves to chew and so when you're tracking high altitudes and you'd have cocoa tea and stuff and it is, it's cocaine right and so this stuff I'd be like beside myself because <laughs> the impact but it's interesting in those cultures that it is a lot more accepted so I find you know as a person that's traveled extensively you know the way that I think your point is valid not that we're advocating for people to take drugs on this show but I think your point's really valid around and I think that the thing I want to dig into a bit deeper with you is the element you said about that loss of control so what is it about us letting go or um, bringing the barriers down and letting go of those inhibitions and you know that kind of letting the true you and self come out and that real creative spirit which you obviously do all day every day in your job and how you bring that through and that's probably the first part of the question the second part is can you do that in other ways is it just your view that, you know, you need to have kind of psychedelic type assistance <laughs> to do it? Or is there another way that we can do that? 100%. So I don't think you have to do, you know, these things. But I think that there are certain places that you can only reach through certain things. So you can't get the taste of salt by eating lemon. You know what I mean? They're two completely different tastes. And that's fantastic. Lemon is lemon, salt is salt. But if you want to get a taste of salt, then you're going to have to eat salt. The same is true of, you know, you can have a profound mystic experience, a serendipitous, you know, moment with someone when you're traveling or even in a workplace. Oh my God, I was just thinking of you and you called. Wow. It doesn't need anything except oxygen. And you're, you know, for you to be alive, for that to happen to you and that to gift you new ways of seeing and being with the world. But our brain is keeping us in a particular state 
And you can do meditation that can take you somewhere else, but they're, they're plant medicine. I'm not talking about narcotics and stuff that's been made in a bathtub. That's, you know, that's just poison, but stuff that we've been using for tens of thousands of years in every culture on the planet as a way to access other parts of our brain, as a way to get blockages out of the way, as a way to, I mean, when you're, when you're drinking a tea, a peppermint tea, it's a form of plant medicine. When we're eating salad, it's a form of plant medicine, but there are particular herbs, roots, mushrooms, whatever else, you know, their way of gifting to us in the same way spinach does is to gift us new ways of seeing and being with the world. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to go out and do that, but I think it, what a wonderful time to start having conversations with people that do it because it's, it's just a catalyst for any conversation about anything that's taboo. It's like, yeah, why not talk about it? Why not a bunch of executives? And this is what I find really fascinating. If you were actually to swing a cat in any organization, I know people right now that are doing microdosing LSD, that do ayahuasca ceremonies a couple times a year, that do mushies when it's season. And these are executives. If you have a topic burning inside you that you'd love to talk more about and have a conversation with me, I'd love to hear from you. So drop me a line at hello at wabisabiseries.com. Let's head back to the chat. Oh, there's a lot of research, isn't it, coming out about the micro um, dosing. Uh, actually, I think a conference we were both at a couple of years ago, there was a guy that did a whole um, talk on that. Actually, it was fascinating and the findings that are coming out of that. And I think, you know, there's something to say that how much better that is uh, versus, uh, you know, many in um, particular industries that take a lot of, uh, <laughs> you know, cocaine uh, regularly to be able to keep up with the workload and stuff. So it's quite, that's quite well documented. So yeah, it's interesting. And I think the other thing, just you talking about the mushrooms and stuff as well, I think, um, not that I'm a massive fan of Gwyneth Paltrow and the stuff, but I did watch her uh, Netflix goop and there was the uh, particular episode when they did, you know, in a controlled environment where they were taking it was a mushroom tea, I think, wasn't it? And just the responses and, the, and I think that's what you're getting to is, you know, th the way they talked about that and they kind of unlocked some really deep shit that was, you know, stuck inside them. It might be you know, like stuff that happened to them as kids or particular things that they never knew that actually were holding them back. And that was the catalyst that finally unlocked that they'd had, you know, hours and hours of counselling or um, therapy that couldn't get to those points. So I think that's kind of probably where you're coming from, right? 100%. And, that, and the thing is that we've lost, like at least in the West and the way that we've grown up, we haven't had chemists or we haven't had plant medicine, you know, shaman that really understand how to work with the herbs or work with the plants in a way that we're guided and chaperoned through an experience like a, a personal trainer taking us to a gym. Okay, use this muscle group here and this is why you eat your macros at that time. And oh, cool, that's how I lose weight. Yeah, but we haven't had that and we've got this big black cloud over, if anyone says drug, whoa, if anyone says narcotic, nah, evil, bad, that's killing kids and that's corruption and that's money and, and Columbia and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that is all of that. Absolutely. I got off a call earlier this morning, a young guy he was talking to me about doing some cool stuff together and, and he said, I'm just curious, you know, how, how have you become who you've become? And he kind of threw me with that question and, and I can say unequivocally that there have been moments that I've had that reality has been a long way 
from where I was. I was on a different plane with a bunch of people on a beach or in the forest or rah, 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 and it was just like, whoa. And you could say, that guy's just tripping balls, man. What's wrong with him? And yet that has shaped the empathy that I can have for others that shaped the connectedness and the way that I value the planet and the earth that has shaped the respect that I have for mother nature and for how generous she is and how connected and powerful I am because I'm a conduit for her power. Like that's made me who I am. So why is that though? I want to dig in deeper there. That's fascinating. Like, so what, because you're tripping out and then you feel like you're more, you're more open or more connected like to the universe? Is that kind of- 100%. Try and explain for someone that's never been on a trip before. So science talks about, and more and more research coming out, we did a lot of research in this in the 60s and 70s. And a lot, funnily enough, a lot of the drugs that people- What, did they use the Beatles? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it George Harrison. People, this is what people get self-righteous about it, right? And I'll go, you like the Beatles, right? You know, with the Sgt. Pepper album, what was he on record to say that he took 370 trips that year or something? So basically more than one a day. I don't know how the guy functioned, but anyway. Well, and it was clean back then. When you make something illegal, then the underworld gets involved and they want to make money. So then they start putting chemicals and all kinds of bad stuff in it. And so you're not actually getting what the original plant or the herb or the you know, the thing's supposed to do. MDMA or ecstasy, what a lot of people do in the kids in the clubs, that began in the Germany as a drug for marriage counselling where it was in controlled environments. They'd take this drug and then couples that were about to divorce would start talking to each other and go and open up and then they would That's have this- the deep, hug and love drug, right? Well, that really makes sense. <laughs> and, and the thing is what it, in that purest form, what that drug does is it releases more serotonin. So it builds more empathy and connectedness with someone else. Serotonin is a natural function of the brain anyway. So all it's doing is releasing a little more than you normally would. So it's not like it's a poison or anything like that. It's just opening the gates a little more. So then when people say, oh, you can't trust that experience though, you're on drugs. You say, well, why not? An experience is an experience. Just amplifying a natural chemical that's in our body already. And if it's given you something that you can take value from and you can bring into your life in other ways, what now, please, for every listener at home, this we are not advocating or telling you to go and do drugs or anything like that. No, very clear about that. Yeah, this is more like it, it's, it's a beautiful space to have conversations that no one's having. And I think to talk about that, I'm curious about this. I'm not an expert. I'm not, mm. I certainly haven't done mm -mm. any drugs in years, but I, I just know what they actually did for me as a kid and how I just think, God, what... The connectedness. So going back to your question, what actually happens in the brain? And, and I'm not an expert, so go and do this. Terence McKenna, is he's the foremost expert on, on, on um, you know, hallucinogenics and all of that kind of thing. But the oneness that you feel, that you can look at a plant and you are communicating with it in a way that the language we're using right now is not big enough to capture the kind of communication that you can be having with a tree that's in front of you in these states of being where, you know, you know, when you're in love, like when you fall in love with someone and you're like, you just, euphoria. oh my yeah. God, it's like the, the skin is alive and it's, there's this pulse, this, this phenomenal energy that's just radiating through you. And all you can do is want to be with them. And, and it's like, they just, it's like they're dancing on clouds. They, you, everything they do is so beautiful to you. Imagine feeling like that about the whole universe. 
you know, and, and if you've got I a way of that picture, that's cool. <laughs> well, if, if you can access that, if you can tell me how to do that, like right now by like bending my elbow in a particular way and twisting my big toe, I'm in, I'm up for it. Cause I want that experience. Cause I don't have to be in that experience all the time, but at least having had it once is enough for me to go, Whoa, that will always live on in me. I don't have to live in India to know India exists. I've been there. And people can say, you've really got to go to India. But until you go there, you go there and go, this place is, whoa, this is incredible. I know it. And now a part of India lives on in me. And that will change the way I am forever. The same is true, I think. You know, once you've had an experience, and if you can access this, I, I again, going back to this point of, you don't need, you don't need plant medicine to access this stuff. We have all had, I'm sure, serendipitous moments, you know, moments in life that have felt divine and transcendent and have shaken us out of our reality where we're thinking. No, well, I was just thinking about that this morning. As I said to you, you know, we're, we've just arrived on the beach and we went walking and it's a, a massively um, huge beach in, in uh, Sunshine Beach and there's, there was no one around and I just sat in the dunes and just looked at the ocean for a while and I haven't done that for ages because I've been busy in the shit that, you, you know, we're trying to do stuff and through all COVID and the, like just the energy is not great and, you know, everyone's scared and people are freaking out about stuff and so it's just lovely to sit there and you do have that kind of transcendal, you know, moment I guess of connecting back to nature and so for me when I am in either the bush or in the ocean or on the beach I always feel much better um, and you know come out of myself and my own worries and realize that I am this tiny little thing in the whole world so uh, it's a good good way to you know it's probably just a fraction of what you're talking about but that's how I try and do that on a you know daily basis if I can. Well that's exactly what you're talking about we need more of those moments in our day, we need more of those moments in our work. We need to feel the full power and majesty of existence on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I wrote that book, Everyday Creative. It's all about how can we, instead of making creativity this big cumbersome thing that is only accessible to those of us born with some unnatural talent, it's actually an everyday phenomenon that we can bring into every moment. The same is true, I think, of this. We can bring the divine into every moment. And I'll share a story, and it's funny because part of this is also there's a religious um, undertone to this where I think people end up what they also look for in religion when they go that way is this connectedness, this oneness to something other than the physical human experience. They want to know, oh, that other thing, surely it's God or many gods or, you know, whatever the denomination is. But I remember I was actually, I worked in a cafe in Brisbane for a while, many years ago. I pretended I was a chef to fill in for a chef. I'd never cooked anything in my life and I somehow got the gig. They figured out within the first two hours that I'd lied my way into this gig. But the guy that, you know, I was filling in for was beautiful guy. And he um, took me under his wing and he was a born again Christian. And we'd have these phenomenal discussions every day about life, about the universe, about, you know, he was coming from his context and I was curiously coming from mine. I was reading a lot at the time of Osho. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's uh, He was an Indian sage, O-S-H-O, for those who want to check him out. Quite profound. So it was a, there was a, you know, an Eastern vibe going on in my life and he was bringing, you know, the Western Judeo-Christian vibe. And it was just very philosophical, very spiritual time. I remember I was waiting on the O-Bahn on the bus, you know, station to get the bus into the city. It was in um, the mall there, this coffee shop. Actually, before I was walking to get there and I had my headphones on. This is this would be 2000, I reckon, the year 2000. And I walked across a road and I actually walked in front of a car 
because I had my headphones in. But I was in such a vibe. I was joyfully just excited. And I kind of turned and saw the face of the person that slammed on the brakes like, obviously they were terrified about almost killing me. Because I was in a vibe, in a fraction of a second, their face softened and just looked at me like, huh, hey. And I looked at them and I was like, hey, huh, you're beautiful and I'm beautiful and isn't life beautiful? And you totally nearly killed me because I just walked out in front of you. But it was just bizarre, right? And so that was this little moment of like, well, that was interesting. And I kept walking and they drove off. And then I, I was sitting down waiting for this bus on the O-Bahn. And out of nowhere, I had this out-of-body experience where I went up above me and then this warm white light absolutely surrounded me. And this is, this is a Tuesday morning at 10 a.m., and this, I was living a very clean life. And so this is not one of those moments, right? I was not off my face on anything. This is an everyday experience. I was surrounded by warm white light where I could barely see anything. It was just this rush of energy. And then I'm watching myself. Then the bus comes and then I kind of get back into myself, but I'm also watching myself from above and I get on the bus and I sit down on the bus. And I still remember, this is 20 years ago, I still remember there was an old man and I think it would have been his granddaughter. And at the time I remember getting this real sense of like, wow, that's, you know, the end of life, the beginning of life, but they're one and the same. They're family, they're two separate entities, but actually they're one but the I'm one with them, This we're all in this together, the bus driver, this fascinating, beautiful thing called life. And then I made my way into, you know, this coffee shop and I was just like, I was so attuned to the gift and to the miracle of existence on a Tuesday morning in Brisbane to go and work in a coffee shop, right? And I get in to see my guy who's this born again. And I just looked at him and I was like, man, you're not going to believe what I happened. And he looked at me, he just went, can I pray for you? He knew. And I went, what do you mean? And he goes, can you do a prayer with me? And I went, sure. And so he took me into the, into the cold room, the fridge, and he closed the door and it was the two of us. And he was holding my hands, you know, and I was holding his and he started off on this, our father, you know, a thing. And I felt this thing coming up in me, this deep, rising, powerful energy where it was like, something's happening here. And I had to rip my hands away. And I said, nah, sorry, I'm out. And he went, I, it's cool, I understand. And everything was fine, but I, I felt in well, that moment. Because you were scared? I was like, something's, I'm going to, I could see myself being born again. Like I could, there's, a, there's an energy here, there's a power, there's something arising. He felt it, he could see it, I knew it. And I didn't want that to be trapped to, in one particular way. I didn't want to go down that Christian road. I was like, nah, I, I don't want to put a name to this. I just want to sit in it and be with it. That was real, man. That was none of that. Like I'm telling this story. That's and profound. I'm, I know, I'm like, my mouth's just It's like, a Tuesday morning. Amazing. In yeah. Brisbane. And I've, I could tell you another 10 stories like that, that have happened in my life without plant medicine. But the only thing, I think the reason that that came to me is because once you've got a taste of that, it, it, it comes to you more it's often. It's like untapped, right? Don't you think you've untapped that? Untapped yeah. It. Which I've done a lot of work through um, meditation and so regression therapy. And so everything you're talking about there, I, I completely relate to. And um, yeah, I've had some interesting experiences as well. Which, you know, I just will have to have a, a few uh, vinos and talk about them a bit more together because that's just fabulous. But um, thank you for sharing that, Mike. It's amazing. Even the way that you said we'll have to have a few vinos. There's an energetic shift that happens after a glass of wine. We love it. 
it's the same thing. All we're talking about is we want to move from this state, the state of being of our brain. How can we just add a little spice? How can we open up a few different channels or a few different neural pathways so we can veer off of this eight lane freeway that we're used to? and go down a little dirt track just for five minutes, maybe five hours, because I love going down that dirt track with Michelle. So I'm going to bring over a couple of bottles of Pinot and we're going to have some awesome conversations because those conversations don't take place on the freeway. They take place on that dirt track. And the only way to get on that dirt track is actually after a couple of vinos. Now, it's not to say, again, that you need to drink. You can still drive down that road anytime. Yeah, well, let's get into that, right? Because I think... That this is the work you do. And so let's come full circle because, you know, I don't need, as we sort of talked about, like I said, cheap junk. I don't need coffee. I don't need alcohol. I don't need drugs. And, you know, have tried a lot of different stuff in my life and find that, you know, I'm, I'm not an addictive personality, but I'm a curious soul. So I always want to know what, how does it affect me? What, what happens, you know, whatever. There's also the, it's a couple of things for me, like you and I being very comfortable with each other, very, there's a trust element to say, actually, I trust that if I talk really openly with you about incredibly vulnerable stuff, that you're not going to ridicule me, you're not going to think I'm a psycho, and you're going to kind of sit with me in it, right? And so there's having people in your life that you can have those convos with. And this is the whole premise of me writing books about shit that people don't talk about, the podcasts having these conversations because people have always challenged me because I ask them unusual questions all the time but it's just because I'm interested and I want to learn and also I meet you and I'm like wow he's fascinating and you know saw you on the stage years ago and thought this guy does cool shit like he does stuff really differently and so that's what I want to dig a little bit more into is around how you you know you're incredibly creative but you pr- provide a platform for others to tap into that and that's what you do in the corporate world and um, now you're doing it in the space of like your new uh, you know the new element around pirate TV which is a really cool concept your book everyday creative which uh, has only just come out but I just encourage everyone to to buy it and read it because you're the way you think is fascinating so to actually really challenge everyone's notion on that but how do you bring that into the corporate sense or what can people learn from you to use this sort of your creative thinking every day like what's a couple of tips you can leave us with I like that this has come full circle because, you know, we started off with this, the premise of let's have the conversation no one's willing to have, or what would we like to talk about more that people aren't? Uh, You say the word drugs, that's very naughty. At no point are we be advocating for people to do drugs, but where we've arrived in this conversation is, well, what's on the other side? How can we get ourselves out of this unconscious or conscious way of, of thinking that is about control or it's about familiarity and safety and convenience and comfortable and this is my world and reputation as well right in the corporate thing you're hiding and controlling a reputation 100 percent. the way people perceive you yeah beautiful exactly but i really want to go down that little dirt road for a while and i know that there's something there and the times that i have gone down that dirt road i've come back with insights I've had experiences that have changed the course of my life, which ultimately have changed the value that I can add to those around me, which ultimately can change the value I can add to the organization, to the business, to blah, 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 blah. So how can I engineer? So the work that I do is to architect and cultivate these atmospheres that people are driving together down that dirt road, having the time of their lives, unaware that they're being taken down a dirt road, 
until they pop their head up and go, hey, we're not on the highway anymore. This feels really good over here. I like not being on the highway for a while. I feel safe, like you said, not being on the highway. I've never wanted to go this far off the highway. I can't even see it anymore. But you know what? We're in this together and I kind of don't want to go back to the highway. I know we will have to at some point because we've got our kids are still over there and we've got to pay the mortgage. But can we come here again? That's a beautiful metaphor for the work I'm doing and trying to do with organizations. I want to take your people off the highway and then once they've had a lived felt experience where they're like, wow, we need more of this. I want more of this. Well, then building their capability in how they can take themselves there without plant medicine, obviously just on a Tuesday morning and then building the capability that they can start to guide others there. So they can take their teams or their customers or their community off the highway to have conversations or to design products or to create experiences that take other people off the highway where who knows what's out there. You're in the jungle, you're on the beach, you're in the ocean, who knows? It's so infinitely rich with possibility. But so long as, like you said, everyone feels safe enough and we can go out there together and we can have some fun while we're doing it, you know, ideally, if we keep running this metaphor, we would love, it's, we're all in the back of the ute and the ute can be, you know, big enough to fit 150 people, you know, or or six. But either way, a measure of us, we know that we've got there is someone goes, geez, it feels like I've had a drink, but no one's had a drink. You know, God, the last time I've connected with people like this was my sister's wedding in Thailand. You know, it was a week long thing and we were drunk every day and I haven't had a drink in three weeks and here we are. And I'm sharing more with you than I have with my husband. You know, that rich intimacy, that's that the joy and the love of being with other humans. That's what this is about. Are there elements in the book about that? Is that, as you say, bringing it back to everyday creative is around, to your point before, that you don't have to, you know, people say, oh, you're born a creative or you're not, or, you know, I'm not very creative. But you're challenging people to say, actually, you can learn, you know, these techniques and this behaviour and challenge, you know, the way you do stuff every day, right? Oh, Michelle, you just, you really have set this up in a beautiful way because you just gave me a great insight into my own book and, and this whole process. So if people, aside from, yes, the creativity thing, that's another conversation around, we've all got a dysfunctional relationship with creativity. We're all born with roughly the same creative capacity. It's the story we tell ourselves about our own creative capacity that's actually in the way of us having more creativity in our lives. You get to define creativity for you. That's the premise of the book. The last chapter of the book is called when your calling comes calling. And if we're talking about how to guide people off the main highway to the dirt track, the way to do that is less about a methodology or a a set of principles or a, a technology and a one, two, three on facilitation skills and more about how deeply aligned you can live from your truth. And if you've been off the road many times before, you're comfortable there, you can hold the space energetically for 150 people. So the work that I do with a band and a lot of the time, I could have 100, I've had 500 bankers, very cynical and resistant within an hour, 90 minutes, be doing a live musical, running around Crown Palladium like they're seven years old. And that's in 90 minutes which tells me everyone wants this. Everyone wants to 
to touch that place. They want to feel liberated. They want to feel connected. They want to feel fully self-expressed. And, and it, that's off the highway. So how do we get them off the highway? Aside from trying to learn all these tools and tricks and methodologies, if you can get yourself off the highway as much as possible, you will become more competent and more comfortable and it will be a natural phenomenon where you just, you just, it's like the first Zoom call we all did, we were a bit shaky. Now we're all pros. The first podcast you did, you're probably a bit shaky. Now you're a pro. If you can veer off that highway as much as possible with plant medicine or without, getting, touching the divine, feeling deep oneness and connectedness with all things such that you're very familiar with that environment and that space, you'll be able to enable others to go there with you and then... Peace, love, and harmony, man. I love it. Such a beautiful way to end our amazing, mystical, and fabulous conversation that uh, you know I always have with you, Mike. So thank you. You're so generous with your experience and time. It's lovely. Oh, I love it. And you, you are doing amazing work. And when when you reached out for this, I was quite honoured and thrilled because you do create such a context to have these kind of conversations. It's never going to just be a predictable pantomime of PR. This is like, let's have a really meaningful discussion that we, that you and I don't even know what's going to happen. And, and to, you know, it's, it's courageous and it's brave and it just makes such a difference, you know, like you are making such a difference being who you are and doing the work that you do. I know what it's like, you know, can feel like no one's cares or notices or any like we're all in this game together, but I, I notice and I love it. And so it was such a thrill to be invited on, you know, you're doing amazing things and I love you. Beautiful. Thank you. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you so much. That's, that really means a lot. And, you know, for someone that's been in the world for a long, long time and I'm just a beginner. So uh, I really appreciate those comments, Mike, and um, can't wait to chat to you again soon. If you'd like to learn more about today's guest, you'll find all the show notes and interesting links on our website, wabisabiseries.com. If you'd like to hear more unexpected conversations, please subscribe to the series, follow us on our socials, or grab one of my books. And if you're in a generous mood, I'd love you to share the episode, or maybe even rate, review, and comment on the series. It really does make a difference. Until next time, be sure to claim your own piece of wabi-sabi and walk proud in your perfect imperfections.